Hey, it's so great to uh, see all of the uh, variety of ages out here, young marrieds and older marrieds, to see all of you taking the time to invest in your, one of your most important relationships on planet Earth. And uh, um, we really hope that you see a return on the investment of your time. I know for us it's been something that we have done better at during certain seasons and others we need to invest in one another, invest in our marriage, um, and do what we need to do to get over those, those humps in our, in our relationship. There have been many times where we have been stuck, where it's not working this way, the, the, you know, where uh, we are, we're just stuck, and I don't have what it takes, you don't have what it takes, we need some help. And sometimes a, a conference, a seminar, there have been even times where everything's been going great, and you know, I, I just think we need a tune-up. So you know, let's go to something, a seminar, something like that, and let's check things out. Let's check the, the different parts of our marriage and see how healthy we really are. And out of that, something would come, oh man, we need to address that. We've forgotten about that. And so maybe it's your date night, maybe it's just uh, conversation, community. Um, hey, at no time do we think that in a few hours we're gonna resolve you know, <laughs> the issues. There's so much variety in here. So I just want to let you know that our, we are available to you after this conference. Perhaps there are buttons that have been pressed, levers that have been pulled, things that have been stirred up, and that, might, that won't be resolved. Just more questions are coming up. Me, myself, and the other pastors, we're all here and available to minister to you. And if we don't have the, the tools, we have people within the community who can serve you and help you get what you need. All right? Cool. All right, so we'll begin. We get that, the tough topic, intimacy. Holy smokes. Anyway. In his book, Love Beyond Reason, John Ortberg tells a story of an elderly couple who, was, who were lying in bed. And the wife, she just wasn't satisfied with their lack of intimacy between them. And so she gently reminded him when we were young, you used to hold my hand in bed. <laughs> so at first he kind of hesitates. And after a few seconds, and he snakes his wrinkled hand over to her and crosses the blanket and grasps hers. Still, she wasn't satisfied. And so she said, When we were young, you used to cuddle right next to me. <laughs> well, this time, uh, there's more of a serious, more of a pensive hesitation on his part. But eventually, he groans and laboriously uh, turns over and cradles her as best as he could. But she's still not convinced. When we were young, you used to nibble on my ear. <laughs> well, instantly, with this loud sigh, he throws back the covers, bolts out of bed, and now she's hurt, but she's curious. So she asks, Where are you going? To get my teeth. <laughs> Hey, I still have all of my teeth, all right? 
But, you know, that story just reminded me of one of the things that's happening in our lives that kind of has pressed the button and has caused us to pay attention to our intimacy. Um, you know, as, I, as I've continued to age, and Denise doesn't age, she just gets better as she's gotten older. I think we ladies have a few more secrets up our sleeves. <laughs> <laughs> no, but as, as we begin to, you know, age and whatnot, it, it's really forced us to get closer, to talk more. I mean, things like, I mean, we were just at the, the gas station trying to pick up some energy drinks before coming here, and we're trying to look at the ingredients. You know, we're like, what? We're both doing it. We're, we're both looking. And then, remember the first night I came home with a CPAP machine? Oh, my gosh. This is the first time I ever have slept with this thing attached to me. You know, I'm putting it on, and all of a sudden, I'm like. So romantic. Hey, hey girl. <laughs> hey, girl. What's up? Here, let me, let me move that to give you a kiss. Good night. <laughs> you know, those, those kinds of things, you know, you start getting into areas of your life where things, you know, your life has changed. What, what, what was you said, Nate? My aging body. <laughs> My aging body, you know, where things are just different and it's forced us to have conversations that we've never had before, you know, and it's forced us to, I think, in these latter years, we've become more intimate than uh, ever before. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what is it? What is intimacy? You know, depending on your upbringing, your life experiences, whether you're a male or, or female, your influences, your core values, even your role models, you all here might have a very different view, even conflicting views on what intimacy is and what it should look like. Add to that that somewhere along the way in our culture, the word intimacy has gotten entangled with sex. But even though there's a connection between the two, we know that they're not interchangeable. One is not necessarily dependent on the other. We don't need to have sex to be intimate with someone, and we don't need to be intimate in order to have sex. As a matter of fact, if you were to think about it, the vast majority of our intimate relationships have absolutely nothing to do with sex. Intimacy can apply to our relationships with our kids, our parents, our friends, coworkers, but especially with God. And so here's a principle that I hope this morning we can all agree on if healthy marital intimacy is going to be cultivated and nurtured. Here's the principle, you might wanna write it down. Intimacy with God directly affects and informs intimacy within marriage. Mm -hmm. I think you need to repeat that. Intimacy with God directly affects and informs intimacy within marriage. Mm -hmm. With Nate and Christina already uh, referred to the story in Genesis and the biblical couple that uh, I think best illustrates this concept of what Manny just said, that intimacy with God directly affects and informs intimacy in marriage, Adam and Eve. I'm sure there are other examples, but this is the beginning, so we're going to go back to it. After God created and brought Adam and Eve together, we see them experiencing intimacy that God, the way that God originally intended it. In verses 24 and 25, it says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. And we want to key in on that last verse. The man and his wife were both naked and 
and not ashamed. Of course, this means that they didn't have any covering. Nothing, they didn't have anything covering their, the intimate parts of their body. But let's not stop short. There's so much more to their nudity when you consider the environment that they were living in. They were living as God designed them to live. Untainted by sin, they were good. In fact, they were very good in this utopia that God had also declared to be good. This nakedness, this nudity is occurring between all of them, all three of them, God, the man, the woman, dwelling in perfect intimacy with each other and the one who created them. And so when it says that they were both naked, here's what it means. It means that they were completely known, exposed, and vulnerable to each other. That's intimacy. In addition to knowing every inch of each other's bodies, they had this thorough understanding of each other to the core of their beings. A complete connection, physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. On every level, they were exposed and vulnerable. This reminds me of someone who defined intimacy as into me, see. See me. Notice me, know me thoroughly, all of me. How about you? Does anyone know you that closely? Have you ever allowed anyone to peer into you so deeply that it almost feels like they can see your soul and know your hopes, your dreams, your fears and passions? Unfortunately, because sin has diminished our capacity for healthy relationship, this profound understanding that Adam and Eve were experiencing, that's not what comes to mind when some people think of being completely known. Abuse and abandonment, neglect, lapses in character, fear and anxiety from past traumas make getting close too risky uh, to be desirable. I remember there was a time early on in our marriage, well, several times, it was our, how we dealt with conflict. We would get into arguments about, you know, whatever. Oftentimes the argument topic was not actually what it was about. It was just the, um, the symptom of a deeper problem. But we would get into arguments and we would play the same script out. And um, whatever the topic was that we were arguing over, uh, I would withdraw and I would need my space, I need to go think about this, why are we having this conflict, let me analyze it, let me process it, we will come back together and we will resolve it. But I, I didn't wanna go, I didn't wanna do that, I didn't want to, I was very clingy and grabby, we gotta yeah. resolve this right now. Yeah, so I felt suffocated, frankly, when we would get into arguments and we go around in these circles and I'm pushing away and he's clingy and I'm like, ah! And uh, we just went around in circles like that. And, and I remember just feeling like, God, I, the, I don't know how to, how to do this. And there's got to be a better way. And, and I remember God just, it was like he pulled the covers off of my eyes and let me see into Manny's heart. And his clinginess and my feeling of suffocation was as a result of his 
experience and the picture of marriage that he had grown up with, every single relationship was marred by divorce, by infidelity, by betrayal, or by addiction. And he had deep-seated abandonment issues. Yeah, every time we'd get to a fight, I said, this is the last one. It's over. She's walking out. So, hey, I'm pulling out all the stops. I'm going to be the responsible husband. We're going to hammer this out. We're not... The Bible says... Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. We ain't going to bed tonight until we fix this. (laughs) We didn't fix it. We just ended up very tired the next day. So... (laughs) God let me see that, you know what, this issue, whatever you're fighting over, was not the real issue. The real issue, and why you're dealing with this right now, is he needs to hear. You know what, honey, everybody has conflict in marriage. That doesn't mean that it's ending. I I remember when she went there, and I remember her words, hey, she's, hey, 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 we're okay. I'm, I'm not going anywhere. I'll be here in the morning. We can continue this in the morning. And all of a sudden, this anxiety, this t- these knots I had inside of me, this fear that was driving me, I was like, wow, that was pow- a powerful moment. Yeah, and that was really transformational for us. It was a glimpse into the intimacy that we see pictured here in Genesis where we are fully known that God sees every part right into our heart. And it was, a, it was a little glimpse into that, and it transformed the way that we um, handled conflict in our relationship. And um, maybe, that, maybe you guys can relate to that. Yeah, that. I, it might not be the exact same story, but it could be something that's causing tensions, causing problems, and um, that you're constantly coming back to, and that's needs to call that cycle that you're going over and over again. Um, our hope today is to reorient you, to point you in a direction where you'll be able to pursue the intimacy that God has for you. But what we discovered was that intimacy doesn't begin here. Intimacy begins with knowing that you are completely known by God. And we see that in the passage. When it says that they were both naked, it also means not only that they were uh, vulnerable and completely known to each other, but this also explaining that they were completely known by God, exposed and, and vulnerable before him. That's intimacy as well. The psalmist even speaks of this in Psalm 139, verse one. He said, "O Lord, you have examined my heart and you know everything about me. Have you ever paused to consider the implications of this all-knowing God, knowing everything there is to know about you. God knows you so thoroughly, it's like being naked. There's no distance or, or barrier that can blur his gaze from you. Honey, go ahead and read the next three verses. And as she reads, pay attention to what God sees and what he knows. So this is Psalm 139, verses two through four. It says, you know when I sit down or when I stand up. You know my thoughts, even when I'm far away. You see when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say, even before I say it, Lord. And so intimacy, it doesn't begin this way. 
Intimacy begins with knowing that you are completely known by God. The author of Hebrews in chapter 4, verse 13, put it like this. No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked, exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Now, usually when someone is this exposed, they are mortified. (laughs) (laughs) One of... One of the examples we were mulling around. Uh, <laughs> this was her idea, by the way. All right, just to kind of let you know what's going on up here. I like to I like to provide a little shock value, and so I was like, "What if?" Yeah, we got the intimacy session. So. What if it's intimacy? It's about being naked. What if we came up on our robes, and then oh, we yeah, turned girl. around and like opened our robes? Of course, we were clothed underneath, but like they thought. What if? I told her, hey, I have, Shock to, factor. I have to swing this by the elders first, and they shut it down real quick. <laughs> they said, that's not happening. But. <laughs> when, exposed and mortified. Yeah, that's when, what we were when talking you're, about. When you're that exposed, you're, you, what you want to do is you want to run and hide. But did you notice that Adam and Eve didn't? Not yet, at least. For some reason, they were not ashamed of being completely known by God. Why is that? Well, when it says that they were both naked, it also means that their childlike innocence made them totally comfortable, confident in their own skin before each other and God. They were absolutely convinced that God loved them and approved of them and that they were safe even though they were completely vulnerable. See, and and this is the other side of intimacy. Intimacy is not only that we are completely known, but it's also knowing that you are unconditionally loved at the same time. God knows everything there is to to know about you. The good, the bad, the beautiful, the ugly. But he unconditionally loves you. That's intimacy. You are completely known, thoroughly known, and unconditionally loved by God. This is how God originally designed intimacy to be experienced between the man, the woman, and himself. Completely known, unconditionally loved. But we know the rest of the Adam and Eve story. We know what disrupted their closeness. As you turn the page into chapter three, they doubted God's word. They allowed themselves to be deceived. They caved in to the pressure of temptation and ultimately disobeyed God. And Genesis tells us that at that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. This disobedience shattered intimacy. It brought enmity and death. It polluted their childlike innocence about their nakedness. And now they were ashamed of being completely known. And instead of running to the arms of a loving God and admitting their failure, they ran away in fear, making futile attempts to to hide from him. And finally, when God asked them what happened, they lied. And they blamed each other. And here we are today, 
riding that same merry-go-round of doubt, deception, disobedience, fear, shame, hiding, blaming. These are the very things that continue to disrupt our intimacy with God, but yet he still knows all of that. For example, have you ever tried to hide like Jonah to escape the presence of God who knows and sees everything and is everywhere? How did that work out for you? It's not just that it's impossible for us to hide ourselves from him. It's also that God knows all about the the skeletons that we've hidden in the closet of our minds. He's familiar with the bitterness and resentments we buried deep down. You might have dismissed them, but he knows every one of them. He's acutely aware of our wicked and twisted motives. He knows about those embarrassing secrets that we vowed to take to the grave. He's intimately familiar with the shame caused by the insults and injuries from others. And just like that first couple, everything there is to know about us is laid bare before him as if we were disrobed. But as far as God's concerned, nothing has changed. He still completely knows us and unconditionally loves us. But how can he do this and how can we experience that intimacy when sin prevents us from it and holds us back from it? He answers that. He saves us from our sin. In her book, Rethinking Sexuality. Shameless plug. Rethinking Sexuality, Julie Slattery. She's coming in October. If you really want to get down into the nitty-gritty of really great, joyful, godly gospel sex in marriage, come to that. October. There's two sessions. There's a session for everybody, and there's a women's session as well. Yeah, look it up on the website, calvary.com. Well, the author of the book, Dr. Slattery, she puts it this way. God loves us just as we are, but he does not accept us just as we are in our sin. God's greatest demonstration of love is not to overlook sin, but to save us from it. And so the question that we're asking is, how does he save? It's the gospel. The gospel is how he rescues us from sin. The gospel is the ultimate demonstration of God completely knowing us and unconditionally loving us. I hope you're asking yourself, what is the the gospel? Well, the gospel is good news. It's the good news that when anyone repents of sin and trusts in Jesus and commits to follow him, it's the good news that God promises to forgive and save them from the consequence of sin. That The gospel is the pathway to save and restore and preserve intimacy with God. The gospel is the basis of our intimacy with God. The gospel is what inspires and motivates us and models models for us what intimacy should look like here. And that's why we said that our intimacy with God directly affects, it informs intimacy within marriage. I think we need to hear that again. Our intimacy with God directly affects and informs intimacy within marriage. I love how Nancy DeMoss explains how the gospel does that. She says, the intimacy of our marriage does not rest in my husband's strength or mine. 
or in our determined efforts to do this well, our hope is in that holy seed, Jesus, wounded for us, who took our shame as his own, gave himself up for us, and clothed our nakedness with garments of his own righteousness, acquired by the shedding of his blood, this Savior will enable us to hold fast to one another, to love each other deeply, selflessly, and faithfully, to live as one flesh, to humbly, joyfully fulfill our God-given responsibilities in this marriage, to escape the serpent's entreaties, to walk together in the light with our maker, and to be forgiven when we fall, and to join him in overcoming the serpent's evil designs. The gospel is what gives us access to intimacy with God, and that access and that intimacy with God directly affects and informs our intimacy with each other. The gospel can birth intimacy in your marriage if you've never experienced it. The gospel can revive intimacy in your marriage if you've neglected it. And if you already have marital intimacy, the gospel can protect and enhance it. Again, what is intimacy? It is being completely known and unconditionally loved. So what are some of the gospel characteristics that foster intimacy? Well, we want to just focus on two. We don't want to give you a big, long list of homework. I think this will take a lifetime anyway. Um, we want to focus on two characteristics that are necessary for building intimacy. So if intimacy is being completely known and unconditionally loved, then humility in marriage, it cultivates that being fully known. One of the references that where we see this the gospel and humility, that being exemplified, is what, again, looking to Jesus. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 5, don't be selfish, don't try to impress others, be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest for other, in others too. Who's the example from this, for this? Verse 5 tells us, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. And when you continue to read the remainder of the verse, you see Jesus' humility explained to us. Jesus became human. He became a servant. He relinquished his divine privileges. He allowed himself to be subject to a criminal's death. And as a follower of Jesus, that's who we take our cues from. We are to imitate his humility. In their book, You and Me Forever, Marriage in the Light of Eternity, Francis and Lisa Chan assert that the key to healthy intimacy in marriage is humility because it's the conduit for God's grace into our lives. So pay attention to this verse. It's James 4, 6. It says this, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. What are the implications of this verse? God actively fights against us when we stand in pride. But God fights for the humble. He pours out his grace upon the humble. We all love to win, but are we ready to give up the grace of God and take on his opposition in order for us to win? 
And once that happens, have we really won? If God is fighting against us, nothing is better than having God's grace lavished upon you, and nothing could be worse than facing God's opposition. Humility is not easy, but God gives us the grace to walk in it. And what a beautiful display of love it is. What does humility look like in marriage? Well, humility is an attitude, so it expresses itself in different ways. But I think the first and foremost, it prioritizes the needs of the other, your spouse, above your own. Maybe that looks like making the bed, taking the trash out if they need it, saying I love you and they clearly need to be reminded of that. I think one, one question that's a great humble question to ask and actually be ready to act on, hey, how can I help? If your spouse needs to get something off of their chest, it's listening, listening to understand and to validate. It's cooperating with each other's schedules, um, expectations and plans, rather than competing. It's approaching the relationship with a curiosity and an attentiveness and saying, how can I know them better? How can I love them better? Humility. It's one of those ways to uh, spice up the intimacy in your marriage. If intimacy is being completely known and unconditionally loved, then forgiveness in marriage will also breed this unconditional love. It's through Jesus' outstretched arms and his nail-pierced wrists that we see God's extravagant forgiveness exemplified. And wasn't it Jesus who taught us to pray? Forgive us our sins, just as we also have forgiven those who sin against us. And in the Beatitudes, he said that mercy would be given to the merciful. You see, folks, when the gospel is informing your marriage and your intimacy, apart from God's mercy and forgiveness, heaven is out of reach for all of us. And that's why we need to be merciful and forgiving to one another. How can I deny forgiveness to my wife when God has forgiven me so freely? Do you see the way the gospel, what God has given me through the cross, informs and directs this relationship? See, Jesus said, the more mercy I show, the more mercy I will know. So as far as I'm concerned, I'm going to be quick to bury the hatchet. We're going to cut each other some slack. We're going to show each other some mercy today because I might need some mercy when I stand before him. And you're good at that. Thanks. So this may not be the talk that you expected. You may be like, what? I thought we were talking about the other kind of intimacy. I was hoping. (laughs) But again, I think our premise here is all intimacy stems from this. If we don't get this right, we don't get any of intimacy right. So our desire this morning, we're still morning, um, is to strengthen and encourage marriages in the best way that we know how, and that's to cast the vision for our marriages in the context of God's redemption story. After all, that's where marriage started. 
God's very first command to Adam and Eve after he created them was be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth. Does that sound familiar? Does that have an echo of the Great Commission in it? Remember what's the Great Commission say? Go into all the world making disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey all these things I commanded. Be fruitful, multiply. It's our belief that an intimate, a good marriage, a happy marriage, it's not the goal or the purpose for Jesus followers. Rather, intimacy in marriage is a natural byproduct of living on mission. Disciples making disciples, multiplication. You know the verse, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. If you can focus on the mission, disciples making disciples, being a disciple who knows these truths in your bones, in your veins, it comes out of your mouth. You don't know how to live any other way. If we can seek first his kingdom and get that right, everything else falls into place. You know what? I live the gospel out to you. You live the gospel out to me. We're going to have rock and sex, guys, because God designed it. You go, girl. Even with your CPAP. <laughs> I take it off. I know, I know. I'm sorry. TMA. TMI. What is TMA? I don't, I don't know. know. Anyway. Um, <laughs> TMA, too much attitude? Too, too, too much attitude and too much information. Okay, moving on. <laughs> Um, so, so the goal and the, the goal is to be living on mission. The byproduct is you're going to have amazing marriages and relationships. That's not to say that it's easy, not easy. It's but, dying to yourself. But the like gospel, Jesus did. the gospel yeah. attitude helps us during those oh, times yeah. where it's not easy. Yeah. I think our marriages are meant to be a beautiful picture of God's intimate love for his bride, the church. And a picture of the gospel story, we would be missing God's purpose for marriage entirely if we didn't talk about this and remind ourselves of this. Displaying God to the world is the purpose of the church, and it's the purpose of marriage. People should see the way a man serves his wife and get a glimpse of the humility that Christ showed. Anyone who sees his, a wife enjoying joyfully following her husband and his lead should understand more deeply what it means for the church to follow Christ out of their respect and trust for him. God created marriage to be a picture that displays Christ to the world. And if we focus on what matters most, living on mission, our marriages will thrive because they will be functioning according to the very design for which they were created. Your marriage, when it's informed by the gospel is designed to display to the world what the covenant-keeping love of Christ for his church is. And that, that's the secret sauce to spicing up intimacy in marriage. It starts this way, and it spills over this way. Lord, we come before you, and we thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity, Father, to gather together as brothers and sisters in Christ, Lord, you as our Father. Lord, I pray that no matter where 
these, the marriages that are here are at. Some of them are hurting for a variety of reasons. They're struggling, Lord. Some have confused their tension, and, and some, Lord God, are, are blessed. There are unique circumstances represented here, and those affect all of us in different ways. Some marriages are thriving. Either way, God, we ask that today would be the beginning of a shift in all of our lives. That as Pastor Nate and Christina talked about in their session, Lord, that you would give us your vision for why we are doing this thing called marriage. As we discussed today, that we would have a biblical, gospel-centered definition of intimacy that begins with us being transparent and open with you because of the gospel. And because we've received that, Lord, that we would be free to extend that to each other. God, we open ourselves to you today. And we ask, Lord, that this would be a continuation of the work that you started in our lives. That all of our marriages, as husbands and wives, as parents, would exist, Lord, to display your glory, your gospel in all the world. Use us as your instruments, as your conduits. In Jesus' name, amen.